I'm Chad Rutherman. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And welcome to No Clip Pocket. One wish, a thousand regrets. Today, we're going to be talking about Ape Escape, which is a game that was developed by Japan Studio, published by Sony Computer Entertainment, and was released in 1999 on the PlayStation. Uh, but first, if you give us a like or a rating, it would be greatly appreciated. So, Ape Escape is... It's a 3D platformer, I think, in, in all but its quirks. Uh, most of, of what you do in the game is move around a level and jump and get through obstacles and collect stuff. Uh, but the thing that made the game unique at the time that it came out was... Well, primarily it was the, the PlayStation controller... Like, the dual analog controller was the selling point for this game. Uh, and they used it in a lot of, I would say, interesting ways. Uh, <laughs> it has this gadget system and uh, the way that you navigate and they, like, move the camera over to the D-pad. There's a lot of stuff that revolves around having two analog sticks. Mm-hmm. It's the first game that ever required the DualShock controller to use, and yeah, it... it it factors it into a lot of its gameplay elements. Like you get to spin the stick uh, to do a bunch of things and not use the camera, you mm-hmm. know, because it was new technology. It feels like a very Nintendo kind of approach where it's like new hardware. Like, what can we do with this? Like, what creative ideas can we uh, just like map onto our onto our game with this? And uh, I, I don't. Know, I think it's really cool. And I wonder if like the de- the developers of this game are at all salty that none of their ideas like stuck (laughs) or had like a like a direct influence on anything else (laughs) yeah i feel like it's weird because it comes from an era that i feel like that happened all the time like it felt like people were throwing a lot of shit at the walls and the stuff that stuck is really what we ended up with really for 20 years Mm -hmm. like a lot of the stuff that was pioneered on the n64 and on the playstation and to a lesser extent, the Dreamcast, I, they were some pioneering games on it, but just not that many. No. <laughs> uh, sort of became a lot of what we play now uh, in terms of like solidifying the 3D game genres that exist. Um, so you mentioned something there. And so I want to kind of sandwich this discussion where the first thing I want to say is... Um, this is my second time playing the game, and I am surprised at how much I loved it this time through. Uh, I don't think I've ever... I never liked the game as much as I did this time. And I really enjoyed it to the point where I'm... Like, I'm really taken aback and am hesitant to lev- levy criticisms because now I, I like I already felt like I was going to be on the defensive for some reason. Mm. Like, I was going to come in... And everyone on the planet was going to be like, Abe is getting that old fucking shit-ass garbage. And I was going to have to be like, it's secretly really good. Yeah, fucking whatever. Um, But it does. It has problems, obviously. Uh, And it is an older game, and a lot of these ideas are first drafts. And man, should you never map anything to spinning the stick in a circle? (laughs) Because it's just real inconsistent and hard to, to manage. Uh, yeah, I, I like this game a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd never played it. I think I kind of remember playing it at, like, a Toys R Us kiosk 
uh, and I remember like running around and using the propeller gadget. Right. Um, but that's it. And uh, I came to it this time um, like totally fresh and was surprised how much I liked it um, as well. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it holds up surprisingly well. And I think a tip for the, the get spinning the stick around <laughs> is to think about it like fighting game inputs. Right. Like I would always like push the stick down and then begin to spin it. And I found like it, it's pretty consistent if you do it like that. Right. It would be consistent if you were able to continue spinning it. Uh, I feel like that's where I had problems. Okay. Was I, I had, would have to do it for a long period of time, specifically with the really awful ring item that makes you run fast yeah that one's a little bit wonky yeah because it just makes like i understand the challenge they're going for where it is like pat your head and rub your tummy kind of thing where you spin the right stick to activate the thing and then you have to move with the left stick so your thumbs are doing fundamentally different actions it's not even like rotating in different directions it's just you have to control input so then I think is what they were going for with the whole system. But I found that like I would get going and then after like several spins would just be like, can't do this anymore. <laughs> Suddenly I'm just going up and down or whatever on the stick and he would stop and I would fall off an ice bridge. Mm. Uh, I, I don't know. I think, and I think that then is, I think people generally Agree, because you never see this kind of gameplay anymore. You don't see anybody map anything to spinning a sticker. Yeah, I, I have to wonder, I, I didn't have as much trouble with it, and this might also just once again come down to the old game literacy thing, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I think it's more that like just right stick is for camera control, just works so well mm. that people don't want to sacrifice that to try anything else. <laughs> That's true. I, well, I'm thinking to things like, um, like we we talked about Mario Odyssey. I'm trying. I don't remember mm. if uh, uh, 3D World had anything like this, but to do a spin jump in that game, you only have to rotate the stick once. You rotate it around, and mm-hmm. he starts spinning, and then you press the jump button to actually jump with it. And I think that kind of a thing is like a fighting game input. You just sort of like know the button combination and do it. Uh, it's just the sustain makes it really awkward, especially when you're holding a controller. Mm. Uh, yeah, I kind of feel like my brain just kind of like started thinking of it like moving and like a character and a camera at the same time. Right. I don't know. It, it kind of like clicked into place for me after a while. We well, think that's the, the intended challenge part, I think, did click. I'm talking about from my perspective, a physical inability to do right, it for right. a long time. Like my thumb just gets off and can't do it. So yeah. that that could be me. Maybe I need to take a tighter grip on the <laughs> control stick that we did sure. break a controller while playing the game this time around. Yeah. Uh, so that might not be the solution either. <laughs> Similarly. Yeah. Like this is once again, this feels like it's such a demo for the PlayStation controller. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of things where it's using the L and R three buttons as well. Uh, and they want you to hold the L three button down and then move. And that's not a thing <laughs> that ever should happen. <laughs> that's a toggle and it will, and has always been except for in this instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it does totally feel like, like a demo sort of thing. Um, like a Wii Sports style, like, here's everything this uh, 
controller can do. Which, why well, I was really surprised this came out in 1999. Mm-hmm. It was a late PlayStation game. Like I always kind of assumed that this was like a Spyro or a Crash and had like three games on the PlayStation. Right. And was surprised when I looked into it that that's not the case. Like there's two sequels and they're both on the PS2. Yeah. And a bunch of spinoffs and basically nothing else from this series. <laughs> it's really weird. Yeah. It had like, I remember it being in uh, Metal Gear Solid 3 subsistence. Uh, which was insane, like, just the fact that there was a weird monkey-catching minigame. And it fit really well in with the game, because it was, like, uh, there are elements of stealth in this game, and they sort of, like, were able to port over the monkey behavior really well into the Metal Gear engine. Uh, It's a game that I think is almost... It's on the cusp of that, like, has-been-forgotten level, and I really think it shouldn't be. I, I wish that you could just search this on an eShop and buy this game, uh, but it doesn't seem to exist. Mm. Trying to find it on a modern platform was like, I was able to find Ape Escape 2, but not Ape Escape mm. 1. I was thinking it was on like PS3 or something. It probably was, but you can't really do yeah. anything with a PS3 these days, so... Uh, I'm just this is my push to have this game preserved. Oh yeah, no, I agree totally. Like I'm it's I'm surprised um by like how much I liked it. Like it just feels like it kind of got like it lost a coin flip <laughs> in like the you know the the tides of uh of fate or something over dramatic uh where I could see like another reality where this got like a remaster instead of Spyro or something. Right. <laughs> you know, like it feels like this kind of like po- really popular for a short period of time franchise that feels like it should have stood the test of time or at least better than it did. Yeah. And it just kind of didn't. Yeah. So it just petered out. One of the things that makes this game why I think it loses to Spyro sure. in the, <laughs> the court of public opinion is this game's just not as like marketable. I think, as a a Spyro. Like, monkeys... I hate monkeys. Mm -hmm. Which is weird, because we're doing a whole month. uh, By the way, it's April again, in case somehow you couldn't (laughs) tell. Um, (laughs) uh, But I believe, generally speaking, monkeys are considered to be, like, a cute animal that people like. I think they were particularly popular popular in the 90s for some reason Mm. and i don't know why but i feel like that was a thing that's true i think that's when somebody first came up with the going bananas joke (laughs) (laughs) and so it really caught on at that point i mean most of the games we're talking about are from like the the mid to late 90s so there's definitely something yeah i mean or their series started there like it literally is 100 percent of games (laughs) that we're talking about uh but yeah, people think that they're cute and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, in, it's not a mascot. And they're like the enemies. Like, mm-hmm. Spire is a dragon. And dragons aren't really cute, but they like made a, a very mascotable dragon for mm-hmm. the game. And uh, and so like people remember it. Remember the purple dragon? He flies around. Mm-hmm. He shoots fire. I don't. I played Ape Escape. I didn't play Spyro. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but, like, what do you, what do you, you know, Ape Escape with Spike? The, yeah. His who's, who's whole thing is that he wears a red shirt and jorts. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Spike is not the greatest, uh, like, uh, flagship character. <laughs> not really. Um, yeah, it's he's like, yeah, the t- a typical, like, 90s kid. And, uh, it, yeah, it does feel like, while the game does, like, look good, it doesn't have, like, as good of presentation, I think, as something like a Spyro or a Crash like I think because they're they're pushing more on like the mechanics end and like probably the amount of polygons on screen and all the enemies and monkeys and stuff and the AI and blah 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 and I it doesn't look quite as nice as some other games at the time, um, yeah and that that's probably a, like a big reason why is like it's not as easy to like latch on to Spike yeah and Natalie and the weird AI robot lady. <laughs> And you know, <laughs> yeah, they're not they're not lovable in the same yeah. way. Yeah, uh, it is is very true. And like, and saying that he is like a '90s kid also, because he is like mm-hmm. that's correct. Uh, but that is it's something that dates the game. Yeah, it ages. Yeah, whereas Spyro does not age. Cra- well, Crash ages. Crash is also a '90s kid, <laughs> mm-hmm. but they did all those commercials with the guy in the big Crash suit, <laughs> and that solidified him as a meme. And Spike never got to that level. No, uh, I would love to see a guy in a big foam Spike suit though, because it's unnecessary. Because <laughs> he's a human, it would just be funny. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, and that's that's kind of like what happens because this game is is very mechanically focused. Um, and you mentioned uh, polygons on screen. Fuck, you know they had a problem with that because you can't see more than 10 feet in front of you at any time. The draw distance is the worst thing, I think, about the game. Um, yeah. It's it's okay most of the time, but like there were a few instances where it was just like, I'm just like looking at like some half-faded out thing across a gap and i'm like is there something to land on there or is this like the edge of the level mm-hmm. and you just have to take a leap of faith <laughs> yeah i remember fucking literally a level i was just playing like not long ago today mm-hmm. i remember looking into the distance with the first person camera which i don't know how popular first person cameras were I, this feels like a very early implementation of one, but it is so helpful in this game mm-hmm. uh, because of it. It's a it's a TM trademark big rooms game. Yeah, uh, where you go into a big room, accomplish objectives, and that's how you and then progress through levels. Um, <laughs> and so being able to look around, but I was in this level and I looked over in the direction I was heading. And there was a ball, like a spiked ball on a rigid rod that was, it was like a fucking spike ball trap. We all know it. Classic. We've seen it. (laughs) You love it. You love it. You love a spike ball trap. Don't fucking lie. Uh, And it would just like pop into existence when the ball came close Mm. enough for me to see. And I was like, oh boy, (laughs) I know what to look forward to. Jumping. Yeah, I, I think like, I know like Mario sixty four and Ocarina of Time both had a first person camera to look around, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense in both of those and in this too because like Mario had it so you could like you know for platforming you know so you could look over edges and stuff and Zelda had it for um, aiming like a bow and a slingshot and stuff and this game does both of those things. Uh, shoot, there it is. You heard it here first. <laughs> Better than Mario and that Zelda. That is exactly what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, and it is. It's helpful and it's nice. Um, I don't know. Once again, we had this exact same problem on uh, uh, time splitters, mm-hmm. and for the audience's benefit, I have tried to solve the problem, but don't know if I have. Don't know if it's the controller's fault or if it is the game. Very hard to make fine adjustment. Mm-hmm. I think it's the game. Because mm-hmm. like I, we had these wireless controllers, and I, I broke one of them playing this. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> in my rage. <laughs> no. <laughs> but um, when I switched to the wired one that you bought, like it just it felt like oh, this is what I remember a PS2 controller feeling like. Yeah. So I think you were right in your suspicions that the wireless <laughs> ones were a little bit off, and I think the wired one is is totally normal so i think it's the game yeah as evidenced by the fact that the control stick broke because i don't think that it there is no way that you were pressing down on it with such inhuman force (laughs) no it's cheap you can tell they feel good um just in your hand but like once i broke it i was like oh man like this is like a cheap ass fucking piece of plastic right here yeah (laughs) (laughs) it just because yeah it just uh i had this happen actually with uh uh ooh, I want to say it was a Wii U gamepad. I dropped a dictionary, mm-hmm. which is is I you can make fun of me for having a physical dictionary <laughs> and a Wii U. and a Wii U like those time <laughs> periods overlapped. <laughs> but uh, nerd. it did fall off of a bookshelf and land on the control stick, and it did a similar thing to mm-hmm. what happened there. But that took a dictionary. Yeah, falling I feel on like it. the Wii U gamepad's like really sturdy. It sure is. Yeah. It's it's weak to <laughs> dictionary. dictionaries and micro. Microphones. And Webster. Yeah, and also Webster. Because I dropped a microphone on my gamepad as well, uh, and that also broke it. So. <laughs> that one makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, keep an eye out for those things yeah. if you're trying to preserve keep your... Keep a lookout for flying microphones. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, it's hard to aim really precisely, mm-hmm. is what I'm getting at. Uh, it's rare that you have to do it in any sort of, like, hurry. Yeah. Uh, which I think is compensation for the the kind of oldness of the console, uh, aka technology that was current at the time. Yeah. But uh, it did make it, that was probably one of the, it was like spinning the control stick mm-hmm. and aiming at things that moved were like my two issues that I had. Yeah. Because otherwise, I think that this game has a really clever control scheme uh, that I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, good. Yeah, I know. I was just gonna say I particularly <laughs> like just like the net and baton. Like mm-hmm. it, it takes like a couple of seconds, you know, like a level or two to get used to it. But like once you do, like it just it feels good. I think um, to control, and I also really like the propeller. Oh yeah, yeah. Like the being able to like get a boost jump and like a and be able to glide with it. Um, maybe it's just because I like Rayman a lot and he can spin with his hair uh, in a similar fashion, but I, I think that item's really satisfying. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the the baton and the net are obviously sort of the game's trademark items. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, the, the reason that the game is made the way that it is is because what it's trying to do is show how you can use the right analog stick to aim without having to like go into a different like control mode mm-hmm. uh which i think is really clever i mm-hmm. think because it, it controls sort of like a twin stick shooter like mm-hmm. a robotron 
There's like a million more relevant options to go with, but that's what I'm sticking with. Uh huh. Like a Smash TV. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it, it just like, it feels right somehow. I did still press the X button to jump occasionally. Yeah, I would do that too. Yeah, just like force a habit. I would run towards an edge and pull out a net and then plummet. <laughs> yeah, there there would be a few times too where like I always had the propeller mapped to circle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would like there would be times where I would like do my double jump and then just hit circle instead of like actually spinning the stick. I was like, Oh shit. Yep. I <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> uh, but it wasn't too bad, the, but there are, those are deep seated like, uh, habits, like pressing X to jump. Yeah. Things that you just like, wouldn't do if you played it in 1997, yeah, yeah. like you wouldn't as end a up fresh there. babe. This is a freshly jellied. Yes. Controller uh, in hand. N- <laughs> newborn gamer. Uh, Um, so I, I want to talk about the monkeys yeah, themselves. I, I think they're like the most clever thing about the design of the game mm-hmm. because it's as if, um, the stars in Mario moved. Uh, so your objective can like run away from you yeah, and it can lead to like more platforming, which is clever for a platformer. And I also like that they wear shorts that, like, uh, you know, they're comfy and easy to wear. Because they're comfortable and easy um, to wear. But uh, they tell you, like, what their, like, mannerisms are going to be like. Mm-hmm. Like, the different colors mean different things. And they have the lights on their heads that let you know, like, how aware of you they are. And it just it's all just, like, good visual design stuff that works really well. Yeah. And they have... There's, God, there's so much clever going on with the way that they design the levels in order to make use of that. But the monkeys are, are funny because, like, it's it's great to imagine people sitting in a boardroom. If this game, and I presume that it did, and I, I could be convinced otherwise, I presume that it began as a mechanical experience. And then they sort of built the other stuff around it. And I want to know at what phase in design they were like, fucking monkeys, maybe? And they just went with it because they look really good, from a, especially from a game design perspective, like you were just mentioning, with the, the light that shows awareness. Uh, it's way better because it's more modular than things like uh, Metal Gear, where it's just they're aware, they're not aware, and they do it with the question mark or exclamation point above their head uh when you're rising suspicion uh it has a similar like modularity to it where they could be in yellow where they're sort of on the lookout for you or red when they're alert uh it's just really clean to look Mm -hmm. at and it's funny that monkeys were the thing that they landed on because (laughs) because it just seems really disconnected yeah, I have to wonder if it, if um, there's a level in Mario 64, um, I think it's Tall Tall Mountain, where you have to catch a monkey to get a star. Yeah. And I wonder if that had any inspiration at all, because it is an instance where you have to catch something to get a star, um, which is a similar concept, but it might just be a coincidence. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I wonder the same thing, because like, like, when it all comes together and it, someone just tells you, like, all oh, the name Ape Escape is really catchy, like, you immediately have an idea of what it is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, the idea of, like, all the animals escaping from the zoo or something. Like, I could imagine them coming across the idea fairly early. Like, it just feels like an idea that makes sense once you hear it. Yeah. Like, it just really, yeah, it just all really comes together 
in a like a clever way, I think. And it really ties the the nineties knot on the top of the game. <laughs> Hashtag nineties knot. <laughs> Uh, because it is also one of those classic games that's got a lava area and a snow area and a dinosaur zone. Dinosaur zone is my favorite of all those. It's really good, yeah. It, it's one that doesn't come back as much. Yeah, or like a future zone or something with robots or something. Yeah, it's always cool to have that. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm... I was going to say I'm not making fun of it. I am making fun of it, but I'm also not saying it's a bad it's thing. It's endearing, too. Yeah, it's a thing that's been around for a million years. Uh, <laughs> since the time of the dinosaurs. Since the time of the dinosaurs. And the dinosaurs only had two areas to work yeah, with. Yeah, it's like an of-the-time thing that's kind of charming. Yeah. And, like, you like want variety. Yeah, it would be like if you, you're, you like, grandma listening to her old music, <laughs> you know? You might not like it. But it's kind of like endearing that she still likes it or something. I don't know. Yeah, until it gets used in a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's when your music is too old, is if it's now scary to hear. So if you're scared that you're in a lava level, then we'll know that that's too old. We can't do the lava level anymore. Yeah. It's scaring the kids. Uh, uh, but yeah, that's, that's some good shit. Hold on. <laughs> I know I had something. Uh, I know you also have to um, get all of the monkeys to beat the game, mm-hmm. um, and I th- I found that interesting because like I usually don't like that sort of thing, like that kind of a um, restriction or like um, a requirement to be able to beat the game. Uh, but I-, I think it really works in this because, like, the whole... It's, like, it's simple enough. You had to get the majority of the monkeys anyway. And the whole game is about catching all the monkeys that escaped. Yeah. That I think this game gets away with it in the way that, like, having to get all of, like, the Chozo keys or the Triforce charts or something like that is annoying. Uh, I feel like the, it, it works for this game. Yeah, it's like... There's a... The bad part is when they throw up a roadblock before you can proceed and get to the climax that you're wanting to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what this game does and what all of the examples you just gave do-, do. But the difference, I think, is it is a very... It's pretty short to mm-hmm. go back and get everything because well, you're only at most missing, like, three from any given level. Yeah, and it also lets you beat it without... I mean, like, it finished the game, like, fight the boss or whatever. Yeah. But he escapes if you don't have all the apes. He ape escapes um finish your drink and uh and then you have to like play it again or like go you not go play it again but go back through all the levels to uh get all the remaining monkeys so i think that helps yeah that it, you can like just beat the boss he gets away and then you'll be like i'm satisfied with this right and that's the other thing as long as it the game allows it to have a climax and finish yeah i think that that also eases the blow a bit it makes it feel more like it's a reward for completion as opposed to mm-hmm. a requirement for the game. Because I didn't get all the monkeys this time. No. Fuck that. I don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> I got more monkey games to play. Quit monkeying around. Uh, exactly. Ape Escape. <laughs> One thing that that does do, having to go back and get all of the monkeys, is... Uh, 
makes one of the, in my opinion, most useless gadgets in the main game, the monkey radar, Mm. actually serve a purpose. Because there are things that you'll want to go back and get, but not have any fucking idea where they are. So the monkey radar becomes at least a little bit relevant for a period of time. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you say that, because I never touched it either. Yeah. I just... Uh, in some of my preparation, I was looking at reviews, and multiple of them referenced the monkey radar as a useful item. So I was like, what game were you playing? Like, you just walk around, you find all the monkeys. <laughs> yeah. It's it's honestly, like, the idea of the monkey radar, I think, is there. Do you remember when we talked about A Hat in Time, uh, passing similarities to Mario Sunshine? I do remember that. Yeah. It um, had the the pin that you could wear that would, like, highlight secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the Monkey Radar feels like that. Except there's no secrets in this game. They're all, they're all necessary to get. I guess the, the uh, Spectre coins are kind of secret. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're all necessary to complete it. So... Uh, it, it acts. It's almost like it's a disservice to how well these levels are designed to be like, oh, we'll point them in the right direction. It's like if in Mario One One there were just arrows all over the place telling you to go to the right. Like, I understand. I can read the design of your level, uh, which is not true in all games. Mm-hmm. Some games don't do a very. That's why we have quest arrows and shit mm-hmm. and mini maps. Exactly. This game no mini map. They give you the monkey radar as a concession, but you don't need it because it. it ha- they have through lines. You know where to go. Yeah, I, I think they want it there for like if you're ever stuck and you can't find that last monkey, mm-hmm. and which I feel like only ever happened to me like once on a level in like the Ice Age or whatever. There was like a lower level to a spot that I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and I almost used the monkey radar. Are, but then I found the monkey anyway. See, it had, so it had, there was like one time I was tempted to use it, and that was it. And yeah, and you didn't end up actually and switching to it. No. Yeah, I kind of had the same experience, except I also never am able to find monkeys in real life. So maybe an actual <laughs> monkey radar would be useful to me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I didn't use it like at all. Uh, and it just seems like a weird thing to have. It seems like the kind of thing that you would unlock after you beat the game. Mm-hmm. To point you in the direction of the monkeys yeah, that you yeah, still need like to get. Yeah, I like other games do that. Um, like, I didn't, like, the Unfinished Swan have a thing that, like, let you know where the balloons were or something like that after you beat it? Yeah, it was like a... They had, like, weird shop upgrades that you could <laughs> cash points in for. Yeah. And that was one of them, yeah. So, yeah, I feel like that, that would fit better. I agree. So, what do you think about um, the character Jake, blue-haired Jake, uh, and the levels where you had to race him through an obstacle course? Because uh, uh. for me, it kind of fell flat on its face, where, like, mechanically, like, I, they don't really feel like they were adding much of anything, and he beat me so bad on the first one uh, that I was discouraged from trying it again. <laughs> Uh, and that, but and I don't think it really served like any kind of narrative purpose to like build up a rivalry and like make you want to beat him or any I don't know I just kind of felt like a weird obligation nothing thing <laughs> to me 
Uh, well, first of all, they're called gladiator battles, oh, of course. which is a dumb name for this this thing. Uh, but yeah, I agree. Jake clapped my cheeks so hard you could hear it in Dubai, um, and it was it was not a comfortable experience to do it correctly. Um, I was able to retry after retrying the first one. I was able to beat him. And then in the second one, because I technically didn't lose the first time, mm-hmm. I was losing badly. <laughs> and then the game crashed. <laughs> uh, yeah. On the second one, I almost beat him. Mm-hmm. I, I was mad, like at the end, uh, like the last like stretch of the level, like there was lava, and yep. I couldn't tell it was lava. <laughs> There's lava in the first and second races. But lava as a concept is in one level of the game before before those. Mm-hmm. It shows up later in I think one other level. But it's so it's I'm just I was not trained to look for it and thought it was brown ground. Yeah. And just ran right into it. I, I was, did the same yeah, thing. I was not expecting it in like the abstract test level looking <laughs> level that the gladiator battles take place in. Yeah. So I didn't win the second one either. Uh, also fairly badly and though closer than the first one mm. and i was like not doing it again and just didn't so i i don't have strong feelings about them but i agree that they weren't they didn't add a lot yeah it just an element of the game that feels tacked on to me mm-hmm. in a really obvious way <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like the second one lets you use the um the stick the the fly it has a name but i just call it the propeller <laughs> the propeller move mm-hmm. uh but the way that they're designed it feels like they should be an obstacle course in the sense that with clever use of the gadgets you have you can do better than him but you just have the same gadgets and they're limited to certain ones yeah it feels like a like a what do you call that like um like a God, i feel like there's a term for this like the game's like testing you to see if you're good enough with the item i know the term dps check but that like doesn't that, work yeah, yeah but for the other uh <laughs> items in the game yeah. that are not doing damage to anything but a um pop quiz yeah a midterm exam yeah they're just like testing your mastery of the items mm-hmm. um see if you can like beat the the ai with it yeah but in order to function like that they would need to make the race itself easier and rely more on the gadgets which it doesn't so mm-hmm. yeah add another that's number three on my list of complaints <laughs> jake <laughs> jake <laughs> you know what you did Mm-hmm. Uh, i guess briefly we like before wrapping up we should at least mention uh we talked in uh oh hold on did we talk about this yeah in diddy kong racing we talked about how the game has a plot but it seems like the kind of thing that's probably explained in the manual this has a plot that's actually well set up in the game mm-hmm. with cutscenes and voice acting uh which was refreshing but it doesn't do a lot for me Mm -hmm. uh it's very simple there's an ape that became really smart through the use of a machine which i'm pretty sure is the plot of a 90s comedy 
Yeah, or I feel like that's like a classic sci-fi thing, because I know I've seen that trope other places. In Futurama, they even did it with a monkey. It might be a Planet of the Apes reference, I don't know. And so he goes back in time in order to seed monkeys throughout history to make them the dominant species on the planet. Uh, And you catch him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You gotta go get him. So that's the plot of the game. Uh, You do catch him. And then you catch Spectre, and then the game is over. Uh, but it has, like, multiple characters who have, like, dialogue and personality. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, like, personality that's a step below the personality of characters in Jack and Daxter that aren't Daxter. Uh, which we talked about also not being extremely well done. So it's it's real medium. Yeah, I was gonna make a comparison to Jack and Daxter as well. Like it it it's trying to take its plot seriously and give it production value, but its plot is just like apes escaped, go get them. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it falls in that middle ground, like those growing pains of like video game stories where they were you know trying to do a little bit more, mm-hmm. but you know it was for like a simple video game premise. Uh, yeah, and, like, the voice acting I find to be, like, really odd, because, like, it's not good, mm. but it's not, like, stereotypical, like, bad, bad voice acting. Like, they're trying, um, and it doesn't sound like they got their uncle to do the voice or anything, <laughs> but, like, yeah. it is it is very, like, doesn't sound like professional voice actors either. <laughs> like, it's a weird middle ground where it's, like fine for the time but like i don't know i just came off as like i don't know how to feel about this because <laughs> it's not awful but it's not any good either yeah it's uh, and this is we're talking obviously about the english voice acting yeah. that's the version of the game that i have i don't know what the japanese voices sound like and you could tell me that they're way better or way worse and i would just be like probably because mm-hmm. i don't i have no concept of it um i personally found it really great in Mm. like a resident evil way yeah it's charming yeah it's not nearly as bad as resident evil one's voice acting Mm -hmm. but it's like it has a similar sharpness and abruptness to all the dialogue yeah it's not campy though right it's like the which is i think what's weird about it right (laughs) the words as written are not extremely bad they're delivered in like a kind of yelly non-conversational kind of way that makes them feel strange Mm -hmm. you know what it fucking sounds like i'm just i'm generating a thing like vhs era training videos for like various jobs okay that's what it sounds like to me like a title card could come up with every line of dialogue and they're like without training the using this gadget would be dangerous and i'm like okay professor (laughs) like they're reading off a teleprompter yeah it does feel a bit like that that's where i'm landing on it I liked it, but in a <laughs> not good way. <laughs> yeah, no, it it is likable in a bad way, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, obligatory, uh, the music was pretty good. The music is good. The music is good. Yeah. But. <laughs> full stop. <laughs> full stop. It's not great. It's not bad. 
the thing about it I did want to mention, I'm really glad that you fucking said this, because I probably would have forgotten. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't expect this from a game from 1997. When you crouch and go into stealth mode, it pulls instrumentation out of the music. Mm-hmm. So there's like a quiet sneaking music and like the full music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that was great. And I think some of the, the later levels have actually pretty catchy songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that you could like dip in and out of different versions of it made me like them even more. So. Yeah, it's very Banjo-Kazooie. Yeah. It's just, it, they went the extra mile on like a lot of things in mm-hmm. this game. <laughs> mm. I did have one other thing. Um, I think this game hits its difficulty curve really well. It never becomes obscenely hard, like a lot of games of this era do, like mm-hmm. right at the end. Except for that dumb roller coaster. Except for the roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> that one did smack of, I can't see anything, I'm just going to mash the jump button. Uh, yeah, no, I agree, though, for the most part. Mm-hmm. You like, can... I didn't hit any walls or anything or get, like, mad. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, like, spend, like, my first sitting with it being like, oh, man, like, I'm going to hate this. Uh-huh. It's, you know, like a, like I did with, like, something like Symphony of the Night or something like that. Yeah. Like, older games can do that, and this is mostly, like, a smooth experience all the way. Yeah. It, it does it better than a lot of games of the era, and I think that's why I think it's worth pointing out. It just, like, it feels like a very natural curve. Even the enemies, like, slowly scale up. Nothing in the game ever does more than one damage to you. You have five hits to die, so it's really forgiving as far as the combat goes, which is the most finicky and weird part of the game. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think all in all, they did a super good job of making this game, like, both accessible and also... It's that flow state thing. It, like... yeah. It makes you think about what you're doing and provides just enough resistance that you feel good going through it. The the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do we have sling back shots? Uh <laughs> my sling back shots. I'm only like <laughs> 70% sure that that's even the name of the item. Oh, I don't fucking remember. <laughs> um, but my sling back shots thoughts are, uh, I thought this was really great. Um, I, I always felt like Ape Escape seemed like the kind of game that I would like. Um, it's a very me kind of game. Um, but I didn't expect it to hold up as well as it does. There's like a lot of like PS1 or N64 games that are hard to go back to if you didn't play them at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- this holds up better than most, I think, at least in my experience. Um, it's a lot. Of, uh, there's a lot of clever things to its design. Uh, it had the experimental control scheme, which I think has more, definitely more hits than misses. Um, and uh, I don't know. I was just really impressed. Yeah, and like the the actual like. Um, act of catching the monkeys is really satisfying like i'm actually kind of glad i didn't play this as a kid because it seems like the sort of thing that would have given me like mad performance anxiety (laughs) where it's like seeming like catching the monkey seems like it should be really simple but then i would like fuck it up uh sort of a thing um it just kind of feels like uh i always would think about that 
uh, when I'm catching the monkeys. Um, but yeah, uh, this game surprised me. I, I really enjoyed it. And um, I don't know, I guess if you have like a PlayStation 1, <laughs> uh, definitely don't overlook this. Like, I, it would be cool. I don't know what you would do with it. It seems like the kind of premise um, that it would be hard to like add to if you were going to do sequels. But like, I, I kind of want to see this game, this series make a comeback or at least get like a remake or something. Because uh, I, I liked it a lot and feel like it, it deserves it. Yeah. Sure does. My thoughts. <laughs> I could have done that in a smoother way, but fuck it. Um, <laughs> way back in the in the days of yore, long ago in 2001, uh, I was a young Game Informer subscriber. Uh, and in... I just looked up August of that year. Uh, they released their 100th issue, uh, which included their 100 greatest games of all time. Uh, and Apescape is their number 100. It's the worst of the best, according to Game Informer, 21 years ago. <laughs> and that is how I learned about this game and what convinced me to buy it when I was a kid. Um, and by extension, why we're talking about it right now. Um, and God, I remember not liking this game as a kid. Uh, I thought I was probably just shit ass, but I thought it was really hard. Uh, and I could never really get into it. And likely I didn't have the proper memory card necessary and wasn't able to save the game. Uh, all of these things probably leaned into it. The playing it now, like... God, I really had a good time with this. Uh, it's weird to call a game like this, like, overstuffed, but I think that's its main problem, is it just tried to do too many things, but most of the stuff it tried to do, it just nailed. I think that the, as we talked about, the visual and sound design are really good and complement this really tight mechanical package, um that really only misses on two or three of the many things that it tries to do. Uh, you have a lot of abilities and a lot of things that you can do, uh, and you just sort of have to balance it and use them to your advantage, and it feels very, like, player-driven and cool. Um, so, after 21 years, do I still think that this is in the top 100 games of all time list? My hot take? Maybe. <laughs> It might be in there. It would be a really funny through line that every time they update that list, they keep <laughs> Ape Escape as number 100. <laughs> that would be a good move on their part. You know what it is. Coming in at number 100, it's, it's Ape, Ape Escape. Escape. <laughs> classic. It is classic. Uh... <laughs> Thank you for listening to No Clip Pocket this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time, we're going to be talking about Gemini Rue, the first game of potentially two or three games that we're doing for Mystery May this year. Hell, yes. <sighs> we got a lot going on, so we might not get as many episodes out. Yeah, but we'll see what happens. It's a it's part of the mystery. Yeah, ooh. We'll hide the other game that we'll do in a cryptocurrency. <laughs> you got to invest in no clip. 
uh, yeah, but Gemini Rue is like you play as a detective. It's an adventure game, a classic mystery may fodder. Mm-hmm. So you know, look forward to it. Yeah, mystery may is very quickly becoming detective may because yeah, a lot I mean, of games have like mysteries, but we want something that's hard. <laughs> a hard-hitting detective yeah it's just like an easy uh it's an easy thing to go to if you want it you don't want to feel like you're stretching it be like well this game technically has a mystery <laughs> this game's a little bit mysterious yeah. where in what castle is princess peach <laughs> yeah. uh <laughs> that was a dumb i'm yeah, super out. mario world <laughs> so we're talking about mystery man <laughs> Until that time, you can get a hold of us. All of our contact information is on our website at noclippodcast.com or on splattershot.pro, where you can find links to our email address, our Twitter account, uh, the YouTube, which features all of our old episodes, including episodes on, uh, we mentioned, for some reason, A Hat in Time, Hmm. Mario Odyssey, Jack and Daxter, (laughs) Jack and Daxter, uh, Diddy Kong Racing. <laughs> In case you missed the one that came out last week. Super Monkey Ball. <laughs> yep. These we are got all... the platformers. We got the monkeys. We got the monkeys. What else can you ask for? Uh, sneak up on that like button. Drive the RC car in through the little hole and scare out the subscribe button <laughs> and catch it. Catch ESPN. Catch it. <laughs>